this morning I've titled the sermon, Man Up. Um, and so just before half of you switch off, um, there's going to be plenty of, plenty of there in there for you as well. If nothing else, you can actually help remind that significant man in your life um, what was said today. So you, it's like you're like a, a reserve memory bank, um, so you can remind them along the way they go. Um, but today we're going to be talking about being man up. And, and the thing is, I suppose it's, um, it's quite a common thing for... To, to motivate men to, 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 to sort of say, oh, you've got to be more of a man and, 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 and like, um, when you're playing sports, we sort of said, oh, you, you want them to, to try harder like, a, like a man and, and, and do all those kinds of things. And, and we live in a world which, I suppose the understanding of, the, uh, of being a man has, has changed a lot. And, and I think it's got to a point, it's very confusing at times for men. And even more so, um, for the men who are growing up to be men. Because what exactly you should be doing and not doing um, has become this thing that's very much debated about other people. And so it is a very confusing thing. But Hans just read this verse, in verse 13 and 14 out of 1 Corinthians 16. It said, be on the alert, stand firm in faith, act like men, be strong, all that you do must be done in love. So I suppose the question is, what does it mean to act like men? In a time that is confusing, in a time of uncertainty, in a time where there's been a lack of role models for people, like what does it mean to act like men? Uh, I suppose if you, you asked a generic Australian person that would be that is not part of the church, it would be a very different answer to maybe something that God would expect. It might be how many beers you can drink, how, how fast you can go in a car, how, how much money you have, how many things that you have, 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 have got in life, how many mates you've got and, and how popular you are, how good at sport or how, how good are you at various achievements. And, and I suppose in a, in a way that becomes something that all of a sudden the world has one way of measuring, measuring what it means to be a man. What does it mean to, be, to man up? But the thing is, it's really not the right question for us to even be asking. Because even when Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, act like men, I think Paul has actually got an implied framework for it. He's not saying go around and look at the, the ancient world and you act like the men that are around you. No, he's actually implied in here. He says, you need to act like godly men. Be on the alert, stand firm in faith, act like godly men. Be strong in your faith and do and all that you do must be done in love um, I'm going to be using a bit of an outline from um, a, a book called Play the Man by Mark Batterson this morning and he looks at seven virtues of manhood that are important to develop as a godly man which are important for us to to be able to man up now some of these are just important for for the ladies out here today as well. So grab onto those. But the first one he talks about is, is tough love. I suppose one of the things when we talk about um, to being, being a man, to being strong, we talk about being tough. And in fact, when we, we look at the action movies, we, we look at the guy that is, over, is able to overcome all the challenges that are put in front of him. And so we, we've had superhero movies of, 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 of recent years and other movies. You look back at Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and it's like, let's get, have the muscles as big as possible. Let's have them fall out of a plane and bounce and then walk off. Like we, They want to have this representation of that, oh, you've got to be tough. 
Oh, you, you die, walk it off. Like, just, that's basically this idea in the movies. Well, again, to be a godly man, oh, yeah, the idea of tough is in there, but it's, it's about tough love. Because this actually becomes a whole lot harder. Because being tough is about showing how strong you are and how good you are and how better that you are than other people. Tough love is something different altogether. See, a true tough guy sacrifices himself for the sake of others. And, and so a tough guy doesn't mean sticking up for yourself when you get offended. It means I'm going to be able to survive this. I'm going to be able to sacrifice myself for others. And we see this in the example of Jesus. I, I, the thing is, I don't think any of us would debate that Jesus was tough. But at the same time, he showed tough love. Um, see, tough love like this is far more difficult to attain than physical toughness and far more important because it sets the men apart from the boys. There are men who have, are boys who have grown into adulthood who still act like boys. Why? Because it's all about them. A tough guy isn't someone who can um, blacken an eye or bloody a nose. It's someone who is willing to be nailed to a cross for someone he loves. Someone who's willing to sacrifice and care for those around him. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, he says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up my cross daily and follow me. Tough love is, is a sacrificial love, a love that is willing to be nailed to a cross for someone else's sin. Tough love is unconditional love, a love that is not dictated by someone else's performance. And t- tough love is a covenantal love, a better for worse type of love, for rich or for poor, in sickness and health. And so as, as godly men, we need to be showing that tough love and developing that in our life. Secondly, I don't, at some point in time in, as, as we grow up, all of a sudden, I don't know if it's the busyness of life or, or just managing all the different things, but we stop, we stop being kids. We, we do grow out of that, but sometimes that has negative things as well. Because when you were a kid, like, you would just walk off in the bush and you would explore. You would climb a tree. You would check stuff out. You'd go to the beach and go, okay, look at all the stuff here. Look at the shells I can find. Look at all the fish in the, in the rock pool. As adults at times, we get to the point going, how much time do I have to do this? I've got another job I've got to do. I've got something else that's important. I've got to get that done before dinner time. I've got to do this. And all of a sudden, life takes over that. And so the second thing we need to develop as godly men is to rekindle our childlike wonder. It's easy to get caught up in what is life and it's repeating over and over again. We get up, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. We try and get a bit more sleep than we did the night before and then we repeat. And it's really easy to get into that routine and all of a sudden we may have our beliefs established, we may have our our purposes in there, but God doesn't have that... I suppose, window into our soul that allows us to go wow again. We, we've, it's almost like we've got our, our understanding of God predetermined and it's like, yeah, we know God is great. We know God is awesome. But God, he wants to surprise us and for that we need childlike wonder. Um, see, we think of spiritual and intellectual pursuits as mutually exclusive endeavors. So we, we read for knowledge and we go to church to, to develop our spiritual life. 
But the thing is, great love is born of great knowledge. And in fact, your knowledge um, is your worship ceiling. Um, you know what I understand what I mean by that? The thing is, if your knowledge of God is this big, that's as far as you can worship God. But if you keep developing an under greater understanding of who God is, if you allow God to surprise you in life, if you explore who God is, all of a sudden your ceiling of worship rises. Knowledge does not automatically translate into worship, but in some respects, quality of worship is determined by the quantity of knowledge. Um, the more you know, the more you have to worship. And I know that's true. When I was a kid, I could thank God for, based on the Sunday school stories. Oh, God did this. I thank God died on the cross for me. That was what I knew. But I have seen growing up and, and coming into adulthood, coming into uh, marriage, coming into family, there is more and more that I see God doing in my life. Now, if we don't have that window into our, our mind and into our heart that allows us to keep developing our understanding and our knowledge of who God is, yeah, we will sort of plateau in our worship. We will plateau in, I suppose, the things that surprise us. The word disciple comes from the Greek word matthias. Um, the root word means the mental effort needed to think something through. So by, by, by defining it, by definition, a disciple is someone who never stops learning. And see, the thing is, faith is not mindless. See, I think sometimes we just go, yeah, I'm going to believe this, this, and this, and this. And we don't really engage our brain in that. We, we kind of, we will read a Bible verse and go, oh, that's good. But we go, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my family? What does it mean for our church? What does that mean if I follow that promise through? What if I actually acted on that commandment I mean, that I've just read in Scripture? And what will happen in my life? It's not just like a, a something that we, we put on our, our, our Facebook post or, or something else. It's something that actually is able to grab our life. So faith is not mindless. It is, faith is mindful. The third um, uh, virtue I want to look at this morning is willpower. Now, again, as soon as you hear that word, you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be so self-motivated, I'm going to get things done in my life. Now, again, some people would hold that. We want to have men with great willpower. But I want to change a little bit because willpower is often self-defined. But as you see in the Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So when it comes to willpower, it's not about my will. It's not about sort of holding on with all my effort is it, to, to achieve something for myself. It's, it's actually about doing God's will. And it's a will that has, to be, has been fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. It's a sanctified, stubborn streak that refuses to compromise its convictions. Um, a man by the name of Jack Hayford was at a pastor's gathering and he shared what he called his secret source when it came to, to um, his um, spiritual life. And he said this, simple sentence, make decisions against yourself. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, we want, at times, we want success without sacrifice, but life doesn't work that way. Success will not be shortchanged. You have to pay the price and it never goes on sale. The best decision you can make for yourself is making decisions against yourself. 
You have to discipline yourself to do, do the right things day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. And, and if you do, the payoff is far greater than the price you paid. You want to sort of increase your fitness. Well, you put the donut down and you jump on the treadmill. Like even though your body might be saying, I want the donut. You, you want to sort of grow in your relationship with God. It might be turn the TV off and open up the Bible. It, you've got to make a decision what you're naturally inclined to do. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. But I say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Paul's saying in this, in that, that a lot of things are permissible for us that aren't really beneficial overall. Um, we, we look at that in our, our Wesleyan commitments. Um, we have some filter questions, and some of them like, do you have something that is a habit in your life? Is it beneficial? Is it harming? Does it harm your relationships? And just because it's allowed to do doesn't mean it's a good thing. And so there are some good things in life which we may find are not even the best things. They might not even be second best in our life. And so we could just um, let things keep on um, go, going the way they are, keeping busy with whatever pursuits you're comfortable with. And those things may not necessarily be wrong in themselves. They might even be quite good. But if you want God's best, you have to say no, not just to the things that are wrong, but even to the things that are second best. Whatever is merely good instead of truly great is not what God wants us to do. Okay, looking at Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I don't know about you, but there are some days the things that we are doing in front of us, especially when we're working for someone else. I don't really want to be at work today. And here Paul is saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. I don't know, would that change things? If you were going into your job and saying, do you know what, today my boss is God. My employer is God. God knows everything I'm doing. God knows if I take a 15-minute break, instead of a 10-minute break. God knows how much effort I'm putting in. God knows my attitude. None of us would really like an employer like that because sometimes we go to work and our, our attitude could be great. Some days it may not be so great. But Paul is saying here that we should um, approach life with that idea that God is our employer. And so with this verse, we, we, the fourth virtue of manhood is to have raw passion. Now, what I mean by that. It's a yearning for life that doesn't settle for status quo. Um, It's an insatiable energy that motivates you to live each day like it's the first and the last day of your life. It's an infectious enthusiasm that can can come only from being filled with the Holy Spirit overflowing. Did you see that? It, It actually comes from God living in us. So again, we go back to the, we need to be acting like godly men or we need God in us to actually have a raw passion. Learning to act like a godly man means playing hard. It's leaving it all out on the court. In other words, give it everything you've got. Don't just make a living, make a life. Don't just earn a paycheck. Go after the passions that God has put in your heart. Halfway is no way to live. You've got to go all in. In fact, the, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek roots en and theos, meaning in God. 
to, to be enthusiastic means that you've got to be in God. Um, so the more you get into God, the more of God's Spirit that gets into you and the more impassioned you become. So if you are finding you are lacking passion in life, I would start with letting God into your life more. Now, this might mean that we need to stretch ourselves a little bit. Um, we go outside of our, um, our comfort zone um, and, and we sort of are developing ways that we see God at work. Um, and, and when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, his passion will refine you and define you. God doesn't just crucify our passions. He resurrects them and uses them for his purposes. So we need to have a raw passion in life if we need to act like godly men. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Don't you love that phrase? Patiently endure testing. Patiently endure testing. Anyone being tested this week or this year? This month, how are we going with the patiently enduring that? This, this fifth virtue I want to look at this morning is true grit. Um, grit is the place where passion and perseverance, perseverance meets. It's resilience in the face of rejection, fortitude in the face of fear. It's a no guts, no glory approach to life, even in the face of impossible odds. Our need for true grit means there will be testing. So if we want to develop this virtue, we need to be able to put ourselves in positions where we will be tested. Um, in fact, the NIV version put um, James 1.12 like this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So in fact, to develop true grit, to develop that perseverance meeting with passion, we actually need to have passed the test. And some of us don't want to even sit the test. We don't want to even go anywhere near there. We don't want to be tested. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to even have to come to the point. But we do want grit in our life. We do want that true grit that will help us get through a situation. Well, if you want that, you've got to go to the test. You've got to go through it. Um, we need situations that will activate our grit. And we need to not back away from trials. The way you gain strength um, is by breaking down muscle fibers. For those who, who go to the gym, you basically, you'll do weights and it actually breaks your muscle, muscle tissue. And that's why you don't do weights all the time because as it breaks, it then heals and rebuilds bigger. And then you'll do weights a couple of days later and, and you do the same thing again. Um, then with, basically, while, and what, while this is true physically, it's, it's true emotionally and spiritually. When you go through a season of stress, think of it as an emotional workout. It might feel like a breakdown, but God is building you up, uh, building up your emotional fortitude. Maybe it's time to, to set a stretch goal in your life. Um, and we must choose to do things that will push us past our previous limits. Otherwise, we will stay in a place where true grit is not really needed. This next one, I think, at times, our busyness... And I suppose the, the repetition of life can really be a struggle for us, and that is clear vision. To be able to have clear vision as, as a, a man of God. 
Our vision can get really cloudy at times. Our, our clear purpose becomes muddy. Our reason for, for why can become lost. And we get caught chasing what everyone else is chasing. That's part of, the, part of the struggle of living in the world because we get into a place where this is what everyone else is chasing after. And we go, well, that's what I'm meant to do as well. And so we become defined by the world. We, we become defined by its pursuits. And we go, that's what's in front of my, in my, that's what's in my mindset. That's what's in front of my eyes. And for some of us, it's not that our vision is cloudy. It's that we have no vision at all or no reason for why. And it is in that that we struggle to move forward from where we are right now. See, men need something to, I suppose, fight for, to, to pursue, something to, to be a, an opponent that they can conquer. Um, and without a vision, a man will waste his life. But with a clear vision, he is a force to be reckoned with. And see, some of us have, it's not that we don't have a muddy vision or a, um, a no vision. Some of us have a misplaced vision or an out, an out and out wrong vision. Um, who here remembers the movie Forrest Gump? Okay, so in that movie, there's a, a character called Lieutenant Dan. Um, becomes quite a significant character. But when we, we first meet Lieutenant Dan, he's, he's um, sort of looking after that company of soldiers. And in that significant battle, he is injured quite severely. And Forrest Gump saves him and brings him back and they save his life. And there's a scene in that where he, um, being crippled, he sort of goes over to the bed and pulls Forrest out of the bed and sort of berates him for allowing him to live. He said, my, my grandfather died in war. My father died in war. I was meant to die in war as well. That was his vision for his life. And so all of a sudden he is alive and I haven't fulfilled my vision in life. Now, all of a sudden, you see how that impacts how he goes on in life because all of a sudden he sees no purpose in going on. I'm crippled. I haven't done what I was meant to do with my life, which, which was to end it brief, in a briefer way. But we see as the movie goes on that, yeah, he gets into drugs and alcohol and, and, and sex and he basically is just living for sort of momentary pleasures. And then... As he sort of rebuilds that connection with Forrest, he gets to a point that he refines his purpose or finds a new purpose, refines a vision so that he can actually go on and live in a way that actually not only makes a difference for himself but for others as well. And I think we can be a bit like Lieutenant Dan at times where not that we are in a position where we are going, okay, um, oh, I'm going to be dying in a war. But we have a preset vision of this is what my life must be. And the problem, if we have a preset vision, if our vision is this big, I can guarantee you it's smaller than the vision that God has for you. And so we need to have a clear vision that actually comes from God. And so this, again, we circle back to the idea that we are called to be um, act like godly men. And to be godly men, we need to be connecting with God. We need to be letting him fill our mind and our eyes with his vision for our lives. It means we may need to develop a mission statement for us that, again, focuses us. Uh, we might need a vision statement for our, our marriage and our families. We might need to have godly goals in our life that we are pursuing actively. But we need to have 
a clear vision. Our final um, a virtue I want to look at this morning is moral courage. Um, we've been looking at Joshua the past few weeks and we, we look at that first chapter again and it says, oh, we need to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, and the challenge was put before Joshua in that. But we're going back to 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men and be strong. Again, some of the versions says, instead of act like men, says be courageous. Um, when we look at all these virtues, none of them are good enough without the final v- virtue of moral courage. Um, C.S. Lewis says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And where does moral courage come from? It comes from a conscience that is taken captive by the Word of God. And I think some of the times we don't have moral courage to, to courageously act in the right ways because we don't actually have God's word written on our heart. We, we see that in, in the prophets. God says, I'm going I'm to take your heart, I'm going I'm to make it soft, and I'm going to write my word upon your heart. And the problem is we've probably reverted to a, a harder heart. And again, we, we get too, we're, we're in God's word in, in too little of a way. We, we listen to more things around us than we listen to God. And we need to have a conscience that has been taken captive by the Word of God. The conscience is our spiritual operating system for those who are you that understand computers. It's hardwired into our, our human heart and it requires constant updating and upgrading. So again, those who have any form of technology find that every now and again it needs an update. I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? Well, our hearts... They need constant updating and upgrading. And the way that you do this is by downloading Scripture on a daily basis. When you study the Scripture, you're uploading God's good, pleasing and perfect will. And then you let your conscience be your guide. A conscience that is informed by the Holy Scripture and fine-tuned to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you violate your conscience consistently, it's like a gauge that no longer gauges. But if you get into God's word and God's presence on a consistent basis, your conscience learns to listen for and respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You may need to humble yourself, confess sin, stand up to wrong, come out publicly for Jesus. It, it depends. But if you do it, eventually you become a man after God's heart. A man of, of conscience is a change agent and a, a force to be reckoned with. So today we've, we've looked at seven virtues. Tough love, childlike wonder, willpower, raw passion, true grit, clear vision, and moral courage. Now you might be saying, oh, there's a couple of those I'm doing really well in. You might say, oh, I'm, I've got all but one. You might go, I've got seven in front of me that need a lot of work. Wherever you are, God says, I want you to keep growing. You have not reached that point yet. So for all the men and women here today, I want to challenge you. Don't don't plateau in your life after God. Seek to pursue him in fullness and grow in these virtues and and to, to act like a godly man and to grow in that way. And so then the world will see what it is that God calls men to be and and amazing things that that will do. Let's just pray. 
Lord, I thank you today that, um, again, for your example to us, that you leave us um, in Jesus' life and the life of other, um, other characters throughout the Bible of how to live our life with vision, with passion, with tough love, with a willpower that seeks to follow your will for us and to have clear vision, Lord, to be informed by which way to go by your spirit in our lives. I pray that we would be willing to do all that we can to see you work through our life in a a mighty way. And I pray that as not only in this church, but in other churches, as the Christian, um, as men rise up and, and act like Christian men, that we become an example for the world around us of people who are informed, defined and transformed by God. And so, Lord, help us today as we celebrate Father's Day to not be trapped in what was, but free to live in a changed way for you. And we pray this in your most powerful name. Amen. Amen.